0: Um, And today we are speaking to Peter George, who's the Managing Director of Alicante Minerals, who are an exploration company with a portfolio of historic producing high-grade copper gold and polymetic SCARM and VMS projects located in Sweden. Peter's a mining engineer and a mineral communist by background, Um, with um, also obviously a background in operations and management, um, and more recently in, in in sort of more executive positions. Um, and he's going to talk about Alicanto Minerals and what it's like mining in Sweden. So that's welcome, Peter, to the podcast. How are you doing, Peter?
1: I'm very well, Rob. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Uh, here in the UK, and you're in Sweden. And, and as we, uh, before we started recording, uh, you mentioned it's your first time in a few years getting over to Sweden. So, um, obviously, it's a... A bit of a new surrounding for you I suppose but you can obviously tell us a little bit about that um, but first of all just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about yourself about your background and your career um, up to sort of present day.
1: Yeah yeah not a problem yeah well, so I'll, as you mentioned so I'm a, I'm a mining engineer from out of the School of Mines in Kalgoorlie uh, also a mineral, a mineral economist from uh, Curtin University uh, over there in Perth um, been around a while now I think I graduated back in back in ninety five. Um, was fortunate enough back in those early days to to um, get a uh, exchange in an exchange program with Luleå University in Sweden. and I went over there for a year and um, also was quite fortunate to get sponsored by Bull Eden Limited um, and did my a master's thesis while I was over there and, and worked in the Leifeld mine, which is a, an old closed down the room and pillar mine um, in the foot of the Norwegian mountains, which was quite exciting for a, for a young fella. Um, went back to Australia for a year, Worked, uh, finished off my degree whilst working for Western Mining Corporation out in Kambalda and then was fortunate enough to to get an opportunity to go back to Sweden again for another five years. So I um, came over to Sweden and and learned how to speak the lingo again and um, uh, worked in their technical department and managed a couple of their big operations over here in Sweden as well. So which is, I guess, leads into what I've been doing in more recent times, Um, went went back to Australia in the early 2000s, um, consulted with a family company, uh, Rapello, for a number of years, then moved on and and worked, uh, basically got the um, the spodumene boom started with mineral resources. I was in charge of Wadjana operations over there in Western Australia. We got the first boatload of of Spodumene DSO off to China uh, back in 2017. Um, Did a few other things after that, As COO for Keris Resources based out of there in London, uh, which then morphed into Calidus over in Western Australia again. Uh, And then in more recent times, obviously, I've been with uh, Alicanto, which I started uh, started with uh, back in 2018. Um, With uh, Alicanto's main focus at that point in time was the the uh, South American Guyana gold projects that we had over there. Um, I think at the time the board had made the decision that it wanted to move on from from South America. I um, knew the team very well, having been involved in other projects previously, and they asked if I'd come on board as the managing director and and look to roll in a number of projects, of which we did. Um, so we started we started there with the Farland copper gold um silver lead zinc project um very much a greenfield style project but right next door to a you know a major producing asset that produced over 28 million tons of some extremely high grade uh, copper um gold zinc lead and uh, and a bit of silver um that was always a, a greenfields opportunity um we Around about this time last year, we you know we came across the opportunity at Sala, which is a, another very high-grade uh, historical producing mine um, going back about 500 years worth of production, yeah. closed down in the, the early uh, 1900s, um, produced over 200 million ounces of silver, and um, you know was was for all intents and purposes extinct, is what everybody thought, uh, and we picked it up like I said a bit over a year ago. Um have you know the, the, the team on the ground without much help from me I'm, I have to admit because i've been, like you said I've been stuck in perth for the last two and a half years, but um have done a fantastic job to you know to the point where you know we're a couple of months off putting out our maiden resource um at uh, at Salah, which for, for an area that was um, supposedly mined out is a, is
0: a magnificent achievement. and obviously you mentioned that you've been back in Australia for the last few years until you've um, just obviously um, gone into Sweden again, because of obviously oh. what's been happening how how has how has the sort of projects moved forward with you being stuck in australia um and how how's that affected your progress could Could you have maybe speeded up things if you were on site or has it been prettier pretty, uh, pretty uh, good
1: well I think it's it's actually worked extremely well, all things considered um and I mean we when I, I started with Alicanto, um, an old friend of mine, Eric Dunstam, he and I, he's our chief geologist uh, for Alicanto. He and I actually started as graduates for Bull Eden back in 1995. Um, so we've kept in touch for a long time. Um, and when we, you know, we started talking about these opportunities way back in 2016, 2017, so Eric's based over here in Stockholm. Um, you know, I think he's... He and I have become very adept at using Zoom for or Scott for an hour or two every day. And, uh, you know, I guess it's worked extremely well, us, uh, you know, with me over in, in Perth and the board over in Perth and Sydney, you know, to be able to make sure that we can keep the funding up to what Eric and his team uh, here in Sweden are doing. And, um, yeah, it's actually worked extremely well. I mean, in essence, we've found um, historical records that have never been released to the public of you know, in the order of, um, I forget the number now, but some 20,000 metres of, of historical core. Um, we've put our own sort of 14,000, 15,000 metres worth of drilling in over the last 12 months as well. Um, you know, and all of that um, I've, you know, been able to do obviously with Eric here and myself over in Sweden. So, you know, I think with the, with today's technology and you, as long as you've got the right team on the ground, you know, anything's achievable.
0: Mm. Yeah, certainly. Um Sweden obviously has a reputation for being a pretty tough um, jurisdiction uh, for getting projects off the ground. Um, have you, how have you found that and have you experienced that uh, with your, obviously your projects?
1: Yeah, look, look, I've spent most of my career either in Sweden or Australia. And, you know, to be fair, Australia is probably one of the toughest jurisdictions in the world to get a, a mining project from, from zero to go Um so you know Sweden's very similar. I mean, it has its own particular nuances um, with regards to some of the permitting and and um, the time around the permitting, which I think you know a lot of companies have run foul of over the years. Um, but I think with with my experience and background, and, and as well as Eric's experience and background, you know we've we've managed to navigate our way through the majority of that over the last you know couple of years extremely successfully. Um, you know what does that mean going forward? Look, I think you know there's a real there's actually a real quantum shift going on at the moment. You know, I was just having a chat with one of the board members of Svermin, which is the sort of the the, um, the a lobby group, I guess you would call them, or or a technical lobby group, which is over here in Sweden that's helping the mining industry to you know to really dig down and, and sort out a number of these issues and speed up the, the process for, for getting permits across the line. And, you know, we both agreed that just in the last 6 to 12 months there's been a massive shift in, in the attitude towards um, getting exploration and mining projects off the ground. I think there's there's been a fair amount of sort of lip service, um, or maybe not lip service is the wrong idea, but, you know, at the high levels of government, you know, there's there's been a lot of promotional going on you know, to encourage investment into Sweden. But, you know, when you go down a little bit further, it gets quite difficult on an operations level to actually deliver. Um, but, you know, I think that's been recognised now and that's even starting to hit home with the bigger boys such as LKB and Bull Eden and, and, and Lundin. So there's a lot of pressure also coming back from those guys onto government to say, look, you know, money's money's a very fickle thing. It will go, you know, usually down the path of least resistance. So if you put too much red tape or green tape in front of in front of projects, you know, the money will just go elsewhere. And I think that's probably been, you know, somewhat Sweden's experience over the last 10, 15 years. But, you know, just the last 6, 12 months, you know, we, we've, we've had a number of projects such as the Kalak um, project for Beowulf, has just been approved, um, you know, in the last week. We've also had uh, Botnia Exploration. I've had a project um, approved in the last couple of months which, you know, it comes, it comes in line a little bit with a, a bit of a change in government circles as well and an attitude towards things. But I think a lot of that's also been driven by the, you know, the uh, I guess, everyone's or government and, and have recognised that it's it's very dangerous for Sweden and well, any country really to be completely reliant upon the likes of China for their delivery of metals and, uh, you know, their supply chain. that's even been driven home even further now with the you know the war that's going on between Russia and and Ukraine as sad as that is but it's it's you know all of a sudden everyone's going my god you know where you know where is our oil going to come from now you know and as you'd know over there in in London you know the the Russians are supplying a huge amount of oil through to Europe and that's all just been cut off so you know we have to come up with alternative sources you know we've you know the the critical metals list that um, you know that we we have now, and in in Europe, and the um, and all of the work that's required to to meet the you know the zero carbon requirements um, that uh, you know countries such as Sweden have signed up to on the Paris Accord. You know all of those sorts of issues is really sort of hitting home to everybody that you know we need to be in control of our. Destiny with regards to our ability to, to build whatever infrastructure we, we we require. And consequently, we're going to need metals uh, and our own raw materials to actually achieve all of these things. If, if we're reliant upon somebody else, it's it's a big risk. So I think you sort of add all those things together. It's a bit of a long-winded answer, but you know, I'm really starting to see a shift and 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 in other conversations I'm having with with people high up and in government circles and you know and and those sorts of places it's it's you know it's really starting to change now which is encouraging.
0: Yeah no it's good to hear as well. Um, obviously your uh, background is a minimal economist um, as we mentioned how do you see the sort of current situation uh, with obviously just recent with, with Covid um, but also now obviously the, the, the war between Ukraine and Russia How's that? How would you say that's affecting uh, the business and and I suppose the mining industry and I suppose in relation to to Sweden?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a good question. That it's you know I've been in the industry for over twenty five years now, and I'm now we had a bit of a how they call it the mining super cycle. You know that went from well, supposedly started back in the early two thousands. We've had a big hiccup sort of 2012 up until, you know, the last couple of years perhaps. But, you know, this this just-in-time supply, um, which is, was a real buzzword a few years ago, you know, of people not having stockpiles, um, you know, even on the LME, you know, the stockpiles of available copper, you know, zinc, just the, the basics that we require for, for everyday life, they're, they're down to weeks and days, which is, you know, historically scary, very scary. Um, you know, we're starting to see that ref- being reflected in our um, in the the metal prices, which I, I still think have a fair fair way to run. Um, you know, obviously it's not just the the supply and demand that that controls that. You know, there's a fair amount of politics that goes into all of those sorts of conversations as well. But you know, I think you know when you I saw a very good uh, I read the letter the other day that BlackRock um, put out to their to their clients, you know, and he really reiterated that you know that the the end of um, uh, I guess the the free trade around the world has 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 come to an end as we know it now, and you know, this real protectionism that's going to occur, where um, you know countries are going to focus internally on their abilities to actually supply their raw materials into their supply chain. Is going to become a major focus for a lot of countries um and you know i think sweden's going to probably be sitting at the forefront of that obviously already being you know, the major supplier of iron ore you a know, very large supplier of copper you know those sorts of things and, and and having such a large endowment for actually for quite a surprisingly small country in europe but with that huge you know technology base and well-educated um populace and workforce that we have over here in sweden so you know, I, I think there's, you know, for, for, for the likes of us that are, you know, trying to get um, exploration projects up off the ground and looking at opportunities that, in the past, were perhaps forgotten about or ignored, and um, you know, they they are now coming back to the fore. Um, especially when you, you know, as per the, the, you know, the previous question, you know, when you've you've got the perception that, uh, you know, Sweden or a particular country, it's quite difficult to get a project permitted and up and running. Now, consequently, there's quite a number of these very high-value projects, such as Asala, which has just been sitting there ignored for over 100 years. So those sorts of opportunities are here, um, you know, and we've been very fortunate to, to latch onto a couple and, you know, moving forward at a huge rate of knots. So you know, I think that, you know, the next five to
0: 10 years is going to be very exciting in the metal space. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you think, obviously, from what from going on from what you just said, do you think... There is going to be a sort of a, a resurgence um, of mining within Europe, and probably even uh, more so the Scandinavian countries. Um, I've, I've done a few podcasts with a few companies out of Scandinavia, um, and there does seem to be a lot of potential, a lot of projects that were probably tucked away for <coughs> sorry <coughs> tucked away for quite a, quite a few years, um, and now becoming. Uh, come to the forefront. So do you see a sort of uh, resurgence in mining across across Europe? Oh, look, most
1: definitely. I mean, Europe, Europe's, they've spent the last 40, 50 years trying to get rid of mining projects, let's be fair. Um, you know, there's been a real um, bent towards trying to clean up the environment and, you know, and mining is bad, et cetera, et cetera, which... Uh, to be fair, you know, I, I've come out of Kalgoorlie in Western Australia, you know, and as a kid, you know, we had six, seven smelters within the town and used to ride to school when, you know, you'd get the the sulphur di- sulfur dioxide fumes down the back of your throat which would then turn into sulfuric acid and as you were driving to school and you'd get this taste, you know, but I've also grown up through all of those Those technologies being improved to the point where, you know, all of those smelters are now gone. So the old ways of doing things are are done. You can't do them that way anymore. So, you know, my generation of engineers and and executives that are coming through, you know, we've seen the bad, we understand what it is that we need to do to, to do it the right way. Uh, um, you know, so it's, I think it's a, a fantastic opportunity to dust off a number of these, you know, really, really interesting projects, and um, you know, and, and get them up and running again, and, e- and even get back to grassroots exploration, which really hasn't been done for a, for a long time. Um, yeah, so look, I, I see massive opportunities uh, in Europe. It's just a matter of um, you know, not not necessarily forgetting about the past, but moving on a little bit from the past and learning from all of the mistakes that have been made, and just making sure that you know, the, the, the legislation is, pla- is in place and that the, as part of the permitting process, you know, mining executives are held to the highest possible um, standards, you know, and, and I think that the world, and, and especially Sweden, you know, Sweden, the Swedes are very are very well-educated people, you know, they understand these things and it's it's got to the point now where, you know, it's... Like I said, we've spent forty, fifty years of getting rid of mines within Europe and just pushing them out to Africa and those sorts of places, out of sight, out of mind. But you know the, the way that a lot of those sorts of you know mines are you know very unethical as far as the, the the use of of miners or you know in their environmental standards that they have to you know which they aren't held to anything in some respects. But you know we live in a global we live in a global world, so whatever happens in Africa, it's it's going to impact on what's happening over here in Sweden, in London, in Australia. So it's it's not just a matter of out of mind, out of sight. You know, you have to um, do things to the highest possible standards. And I think that's what the the whole conversation
0: needs to change to that. Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, you're, you're a seasoned professional with um, over 25, 30 years of experience across, obviously, uh, multiple metals and jurisdictions. Um, what would you say your favourite achievements have been in your uh, in your journey? Yeah, well, look, I think
1: probably a couple. I mean,
0: I, I really, you know,
1: when you when you're a young graduate and you, you go out, and you know, I got the opportunity to go out and work in Sweden. You know, I, I went from positive forty five degrees on on the Boxing Day in Kalgoorlie in nineteen ninety five, and landed up in Lulio at minus thirty degrees. You know, about two weeks later, and. But as a 21-year-old, you know, you've you've got no idea what, 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 what to expect. You just turn up there and, and, you know, and I had the time absolute time of my life, I made some fantastic friends that I, I still work with today and, and keep in very good touch with today. So I think for, for me, you know, it's not necessarily an achievement, but it's something that I'm very proud of the fact that I actually put myself out there to to, to go off and do something like that as a young fellow, as a young, young professional. I think in more recent times, you know, I think I mentioned it before, you know, the to be able to you know, I think when I started at uh, for mineral resources you know it took me 49 days to get the first boat load from when I started to uh, of 110,000 tons of spodumene was, was the first DSO ship load off to off to China uh, and then proceeded to make a ridiculous amount of money for mineral resources over about 12 18 months before the price unfortunately collapsed back then it's it's obviously come back significantly now but you know that was an amazing opportunity for me Professionally, to sort of be everything from the, you know, the 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 resident manager to the to the surveyor to the cook and the cleaner, and you know, standing on top of Telstra Hill, it was called, which is a hill up the top of Wadjana just directing traffic and you know, just to to be able to do that. And I, I think back and you know on how and how and how we actually did it is actually quite amazing. Um, but I think also you know, what we've done with Sala is is quite amazing. You know, I was having a good chat to. To Eric um, yesterday about these things, you know, and there's probably only two people in the world that could have pulled off what we what we're about to pull off with SALA with with both of our experiences on, uh, you know, Eric being you know one of the top GOs in in Sweden, you know, myself with my my background in Sweden, but also my links into Australia and being able to provide the the funding through to Eric and, the, and then doing all of that remotely without being able to actually set foot in in the country. Um, you know, so I'm really looking forward to getting that maiden resource out, and and you know, and signing off on that side of uh, achievement, and um, and see where that goes from there. But you know, you just that's what's so fun about the mining industry—you just never quite know where you're going to go or where you're going to end up. But it's
0: it's quite often fun. Yeah, obviously, talking about Salar. Um, obviously, you're heading towards your maiden resource there. Um, and it's been obviously been known for about 500 years. Um, and and was obviously thought to be exhausted. Obviously, you saw something um, at Salah that generation of others may have not. Um, how I suppose? How have you achieved? How have you achieved what you've done? And like you said, you're you're probably you two are the only probably people that could have pulled this off. Um, mm. Just wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I was Salah. And funnily enough, I actually went down Salar about 25 years ago when I, when I was here we were working for Bulleater and my father came over to visit um, and, and he was he was in charge of building the um, the tourist mine over there in Kalgoorlie, And um, you know, so I was having a, a chat to a couple of the, the old boys, um, le- leaders of the, the Swedish mining industry, and I mentioned to him about what my father had done. And so he came over and we actually all went down the, the old Salar mine um like i said 25 years ago down to the bottom and i think but there was about six or seven of us and even me as a 21 year old the average age was still about 75 but we, it was in the days before they'd put in the, the um the lift so we all went down in these um down in the uh ladders which was quite fun um mm-hmm. but you know down to some of the levels where it was all mined by um basically fire setting so they'd come up and they'd set a fire up against the wall light it on fire keep it going over the night and then you know over over that period the the walls would heat up and then crack you know and you'd maybe get about 10 centimeters worth of advance per day which is the reason why it took 500 years to mine right um but you know just the the grades that they managed to pull out of that place you know it's like an average grade of 1244 grams per ton silver which is you know you put that in perspective to today's mine, and there's nothing comes even close um so I always sort of had it in the back of my mind that this would be a good one to, to come back and take a look at. Um, look, Sweden's an interesting place as far as uh, opportunities like that. There are quite a few of these type of opportunities around, and for whatever reason, whether or not it's, you know, a, a poor reputation because of permitting or, um, you know, people have haven't had that much success over here, I think if you can get around those particular issues, which we obviously have here, you know, there's some... There's some amazing opportunities um, to develop. But, I mean, it's also important to be able to fund all of these things. So I think that's, you know, I guess obviously with my last 25 years, 30 years worth of experience in the industry and, the you know, and the, and the people that I know and being able to raise funds and, you know, just like I said, to to put Eric and I together with Eric's expertise and my ability to get the money together and the people over on the Australian side, it just really made sense. To, to have a look at this a little bit deeper. I mean we knew there was some historical information, but uh, this, I guess that's another new, an, another nuance about Swedish projects where you know they changed the law in 1992. Um, and in 1992 oh, so prior to 1992 you actually needed to be a Swede or a Swedish company to, to own assets within, within Sweden or with our own tenements. But it also meant that you know when they when they changed that law, um they negotiated I, pre, I presume it was bullied and an lkb negotiated that any expiration data that they had from prior to 1992 they were not legally obliged to provide that through to the government so whereas like in western australia or in australia as a whole you know you can go back into the databases you can go back 100 years and you'll find information but you get to the database over here in sweden which is which is very good with the swedish geological society but you, you go prior to 1992 and information starts to become very hard to find. So, you know, you need to have that, that um, you know, the you, know, you need to know who to ask to get that information, you know, and, and between Eric and myself, we've been very fortunate to be able to pull a lot of this information. That we knew some of it existed, but we've, we've actually been blown away by how much we found. Um, and it saved us, you know, it's it saved us probably 20, 25,000 metres worth of drilling, which is quite amazing. I mean, when you put that into a... A dollar cents you know we're talking jeez, i don't even know what that's worth probably six seven million dollars for our shareholders that we don't need to raise um so you know i think when you when you you put it all into those sorts of um put all that information together you can sort of understand how we've you know we've come about the 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 solution and well the opportunity first of all at sala and then and then how we've managed to get to where we are today so i think it's it's amazing achievement
0: yeah. So if companies, overseas companies, were looking to go into mining in Sweden, um, how, how is it to mine in Sweden with obviously mining regulations, governments, local communities, et cetera, workforces? Um, mm. Just wanted you give us a, a general overview if, if someone um, from overseas was looking to explore in Sweden. Yeah, well, look, I mean
1: there are there are a lot of roadblocks right that you have to figure out yourself how to get around and get over the top of and when you first go in there you can sort of see oh wow there's so many fantastic opportunities here i can't believe that they're still sitting there but sometimes there's a reason why these things are still sitting there and you know people haven't been able to get over the roadblocks but you know each part of the country is different you know some of them take longer um, some of them are very quick, you know. Like SALA has been amazingly quick for us to be able to get hold of the historical information. Had a lot of support from the local government and uh, and the um, and the, the mines inspectorate on on getting our approvals through on a timely basis. Um, you know, stakeholders are actually very interested. You know, so the local people are very interested in what we're doing. But you know, I guess we're lucky in some respects because they've got a long history there of of having a mine. Um, within the town um, there, there's still an operating uh, limestone mine that sits right there in the town as well so it's it's not a foreign um, idea uh, for the local population to sort of see mining trucks running around and and miners running around and and it's the whole the whole uh, value that that actually adds to the to the local community is massive you know if if and when we get solar up and running you know there's the potential for three, four hundred jobs, which for a small town like Sala with a few thousand inhabitants, you know, that's that's a that's a huge bonus to the local economy. Um, and just a huge number of jobs, not not to mention the direct jobs, but also the follow-on jobs for, you know, families that are going to move there, you know, and they'll bring kids, you need teachers, you need shops, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, and we're we're looking at a potential mine there that's going to be, you know, in my mind, we're looking at 10 years plus. Um, uh, Depending obviously on how we go with our, with our future exploration programs, but you know it's 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 somewhat um, buyer beware, I suppose is is the is the best way I would describe Sweden. to do your own research. But I mean, you know, Australia is no different. You know, we just that we've become very used to um, or, or adept in you know in working our way through all the process and, and all the permitting, and you know, you just it just becomes part of the job. Um here Sweden, we haven't quite got to that level of experience. And that's probably got more to do with the sheer volume of projects, you know. Like in Australia, you know, we've got hundreds of mining projects and exploration projects, if not thousands, around the country, you know. So it's you know, and I can remember over the last 20 years talking to people about how frustrating it is in Australia just to you know to, to do something, you know, because there's a there's a bat over here or there's a particular flower that's you know highly protected. You know, but, you know, I think that's all fair enough. That's the way that it should be. Um, and I think Sweden's just sort of coming up to, you know, for, for once for once that, that I've actually seen now, Sweden's actually a little bit behind Australia in that regard. Usually Sweden's 10 to 20 years ahead of basically everything that Australia does. But I think in this situation it's a bit behind, you know, but that's, that's where the opportunities lie. You know, you can't go to exactly the same places where everybody else is because all the good stuff's already gone.
0: So there, therein lies the opportunity. Yes, certainly. Um, a couple more questions. Um, what advice can you give sort of upcoming uh, mining, mining professionals? Um, obviously, you've been experienced and you've obviously travelled travelled around, uh, around the world. Um, what advice would you say that you think would be beneficial to some of our uh, younger audience listening to this uh, episode?
1: Yeah, look, um, just get out there and have a go, I think. I mean, to be, let's be honest, when you're that age, you don't really know much. So, you know, it's all about getting out there and learning, you know, learning from guys like myself that have been around a while, that have seen it, been there, done that. But in saying that, go out there and, you know, beat your own path as well, you know, go off. And I think it's really about trying to differentiate yourself from, from others with your experience and your knowledge, um, you know, and that's, you just never know when, you know opportunities are going to come about because of that particular differentiation that you've that you've given yourself. Um, but, but in saying that as well, you know, as as professionals, you're going to get involved in different things as you go through your career. Um, you know, I think back in my early days I was very interested in the technical side of things and, you know, quite keen to learn about that, but very quickly got pushed into management and, you know, saw a whole different world again. But there's no reason why you can't do both. Um, as a professional, and, and to be fair, you know, I, I like to see a lot of the professionals coming through, you know, really get an opportunity to concentrate on their, on their, um, their technical side of what they're doing. You know, I was, I was very fortunate with Bull Eden to spend uh, two, three years on the explosive side of things and got, got to run around to all of their operations in Sweden and Spain and a few other places and just really learn about rocks um you know and and how to blow them up as exciting as that sounds but um you know i you know and and don't be discouraged i think you know with with uh you're going to have downturns you're going to have upturns but just go out there and push yourself and and preferably do a lot of that sort of stuff before you get married because i think once you get married um you know the the handbrake tends to come on a little bit more
0: yeah (laughs) i mean and i suppose it's and i speak to obviously a lot of younger younger engineers in the industry and um yeah it's I think sometimes it's just stepping outside your comfort zone. um No one always knows what's what's in what's going to be happening in the future. Um, oh. but it's been, it's putting yourself in those situations, and if opportunities are presented to yourself, it is if it's something you want to do, grasp it with both hands. Um, yeah, and, uh... and, go, and
1: go, go out bush, go out to the, the weirdest possible places that you've never heard of, you know, like oh, I went out to the, the foot of, the, the, foot of the, Nor- the mountains in between Sweden and Norway, about 1,000 kilometres north of Stockholm, which you almost can't get any further away than that from, from uh, Western Australia. But absolutely loved it, you know, one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to where they had a mine. So, you know, and I, I often think back about that, about how lucky I actually was to, to get that opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I suppose no doubt you would have picked up certain skills there that you probably wouldn't have picked up elsewhere. Um and that's just obviously additional skills that you would have learnt for being in that position that you might have not gone uh learned from other from other minds or other local jurisdictions. Um so yeah, it's it's it it is putting yourself out there, like you said. Um mm. and every every experience takes something from it. Um, whether it's a good experience or bad experience, if you can take something away from it, um, that's just going to obviously increase your increase your skill level um, mm, and adaptability.
1: 100%. Yep. No, yeah, no, totally agree.
0: Um, and lastly, um, what's the outlook for the rest of the year for you guys?
1: Yeah, so look, we're uh, we're very busy. Um, so, so we've got three draw rigs spinning at the moment. Um, we're just about to to cut off the the uh, the resource drilling program um, doesn't mean that we're going to stop. We're going to keep going um, as we you know we push beyond the, the maiden resource. Um, you know we've got a lot of modelling work that we're going on at the moment. A lot of uh, you know Eric and his team are out there trying to figure out the geological model and you know, exactly why things have happened and where they are and where they're going and you know con- and trying to figure out where the higher grade portions are. Um, you know we have our uh, our third party. Uh, engineers that are starting on the, the maiden resource modelling, and that'll start in a couple of weeks' time. So, you know, we're, we're going to be really busy through until, you know, charging all the way through to the end of end of May, I think, before um, we can perhaps take half a breath and, and a step back and go, yep, okay, well, that's what we've achieved. Um, but, yeah, we won't be slowing down from there, I don't think. You know, it's going to be a matter of, um, you know, this is, we're going to, we, we'll be banking, you know, the maiden resources so that everybody can take a look at that and go, all right, well, that's, you know, whatever, whatever that value is going to be, and then compare that to our market capitalization. And hopefully our share price will get to where it's supposed to be. And um, you know, but then it's all about, well, what's what's coming next? You know, that's the, that's the hard part about being in the junior um, sphere. You know, it, investors are always craving the next announcement when the next piece of amazing news is going to come across their desk so that the share price keeps going up. It doesn't, unfortunately, always work out that way. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of work going on. Uh, hopefully I can get back to Sweden a little bit more than, than what I have been over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm back off to Perth um, Sunday, I believe. Um so I'll be back next week. And then, um, yeah, so hopefully, be, but uh, I don't think I'll be too long before I'm back in Sweden again, giving Eric a hand.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, Peter, really wish you all the best for uh, for the year. Um, obviously, exciting opportunity you've got there. Um, and like you said, you're just going to keep pushing along. Um, obviously, results will be up and down, but you, you'll get there in the end. And um, yep. what an amazing project. And, and and it seems in a very nice uh, part of the part of the world. So yeah, wish you wish you well in in your success, and maybe come on later this uh, later this year or next year and, and give us an update.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to.
0: Yeah, um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions or wants to find out more more information uh, um, around maybe mining in Sweden or um, get an update from yourselves, how can they go about doing that? Um, are you crossing yeah, only the best place platforms?
1: to do is, is to. The best thing to do is just to go onto our website you know we've got a huge amount of information on our website um, we've also got emails in there for how to get in contact with us so yeah no by all means send an email through and I'll do my best to to, um, to give you the, the best
0: answer I can yeah and are you on Twitter YouTube any of those social media platforms? Oh uh,
1: yeah we're, we're all over Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and, and all of those <laughs> sorts of things are so very easy to find.
0: Yeah, no worries. Well, appreciate your time again. And those that are listening, um, appreciate if you can uh, obviously follow Peter and and, and his journey. And um, if you've obviously got any questions, feel free to reach out to him um, and his company. Also, um, appreciate if you can uh, share this episode with others, especially if they're in Europe, um, whether they're in uh, in sort of Norwegian countries or whether well, or sorry Scandinavian countries, or whether in Europe, but appreciate if you can uh, your continued support and appreciate you uh, um, sharing these episodes amongst others in the industry so they can understand what else is happening within the mining industry. and and obviously we don't get many many people on the podcast that are um, developing projects in Sweden. So um, yeah, appreciate your continued support. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening.